0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Daily AI Show Interview Series. And today we have none other than Amanda Bickerstaff. Welcome Amanda, how are you?
1: I am good, thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Well, we appreciate you being here as well. And I, I've been looking forward to this uh, doing this interview. I know I reached out to you several months ago, and I was like, "We're going to do an interview, part of our thing." And then it was like four months later. I'm like, "Okay, no, seriously, we're going to we're going to do it this time," you know. And and you were gracious enough to say that uh, you were still you were still interested or available. So we appreciate it. Um, you know, our goal with this interview series is just to talk to all sorts of interesting people. You know, through AI. Um, what people are doing, you obviously, uh, being CEO of a company called AI for education, It's kind of what's suited for our audience. Um and so yeah, we I have some I have some questions, you know, prepared, but we can take this any we want, probably go about thirty minutes um and give you an opportunity at the end there to to make sure that people know all the good places to reach out to you for business or or to follow you on socials and things like that. So if you're ready, uh, I'd love to start with kind of something I'm interested in because, when I was looking through your your history, one of the things it said was that you went to Emory University. Well, I grew up in Georgia. I actually was a firefighter. I don't know if we crossed paths at the same years, but I was a firefighter at Station One on Clifton Road. So I'm oh, um, very familiar with the Emory University and, and Eggleston and the CDC. Um, one of the first things they told me uh, at the station that day uh, was, I was like, oh, are we are we first due for things that go on the CDC? And I had a I had a captain that just sort of blank faced me and was like, no. I was like, what do you mean no? we're right next door? And he said, we're already part of the problem. If something <laughs> bad happens at the <laughs> CDC. And I thought, we have some large universities around here. I don't know who was thinking about this when they put the CDC right where they right did here. Right
1: here. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to ask you about that. No, go ahead. Were you about to say something?
1: Yeah, no, I'm from Georgia as well. So any Georgia uh, football fans out there, a, I am a, a big Georgia fo- football fan. Uh, Emory does not have a football team. Do you have it? Yeah. My So I'm actually, so this is my grandmother's house. She's 91 years old in New Jersey. I was actually, my parents are visiting from uh, from a small town in Georgia. And so I'm here with them. And so my parents are fanatics with football. And I grew up, you know, absolutely tailgating at leg four and you know the whole get up georgia georgia bulldogs and then oh, i went to emory so we which has partners. yeah <laughs> emory, does, emory does not have a football team um, but it does no. have a really good science program and when i was growing up i wanted to be a doctor um i wanted to help people and when i was diagnosed with the uh, autoimmune disease in college that kind of went out the window so i was like what can i do to help people and that's how i became a teacher and that's been what's brought me to AI for Education and a long and winding path.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about is like, so you go from, I'm sure there's more to this, is why I wanna ask you, you're a student at Emory and then it seems to be, at least from what I can tell, pretty short order, you're a brand new teacher in the Bronx, in the the shadow of, of Yankee Stadium. How does that happen? Is it just, I want to be a teacher and that's where their job or like, surely not. So how did you end up going to the Bronx as a, as a, you know, Georgia kid?
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny because I grew up in a really small town and my, but my grandmother was from New Jersey. And so there was always a joke that two grandmothers my the Georgia grandmother was going to teach me how to be a homemaker. She failed miserably as I'm the CEO of a <laughs> tech company that's been around the world. And then my grandmother New Jersey was going to teach me how to like shop and things. And it was always a joke, and that's very gendered. But it was yeah. you know a, a while ago, and so I had experience like in the Northeast. But you know I didn't. I really wanted to be a doctor. I, that was what I was mm-hmm. going to do, and. You know, I kind of got to a point where I got to my last six months of college and didn't know what was happening next and um, actually got really sick the day of my interview for Teach for America. And I remember leaving that room and being like, nope, (laughs) did not get that. And and I didn't. Um, But there was also um, at that stage, the New, New York Teaching Fellows it, which is now part of TNTP, If you're familiar with the education piece, it's an alternative route certification program that is quite a bit different in the sense of it's not just early graduates. So I was actually the only early graduate like recent graduate, in my science cohort. But I went up for an interview in New York City, and you know, in May, and then I was in, or sorry, April, and then I moved to New York in June and started, uh, you know, teaching, um, you know, Brack Science, which is uh, during the summer. And then I was in one of the the, the highest complexity, low income, lowest rated schools in the country. Uh, and that's where mm-hmm. I did my teaching. And it is by far the most formative experience in my entire life, not just in terms of my career, taught me a ton about like talking, where, uh, today is MLK Day, talk about equity, talk about access, yep. talk about exactly. the, the divide that happens. Like I saw that in such a, you know, visceral experience where so much of teaching we don't recognize has so little to do with what happens in the school and what's so much about what bring, kids bring in with them and how of do course. we support students that come from a system that doesn't support them all the time. So, yeah, so that was my first job. And uh, if I ever do a TED talk, it's going to be do it the hardest possible way. So, I have had yeah. many weird, not weird, but like difficult jobs and transitions yeah. through life. Um, but it has been, you know, it, I still look back at that time and I wouldn't be here today and doing what i'm doing without that that time in the bronx
0: yeah i would imagine at that 82 you know you're uh assuming early 20s if you just got out of college or whatever that that's also a formative time in your own life you know mm-hmm. and then uh you know emory well Emory probably looks a little bit different. Say if you were at UGA, maybe a little bit different. Emory is a little bit more, you know, diverse, more in the city, right? Into in Decatur and Atlanta. Um, but but certainly, again, not the Bronx, you know. So um, I can imagine, you know, um, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you about. I want to hit it again. I have, a, I have a later question. But just talking about this idea of equity, which I know is one of your, I think you call it your three E's. And I have a, a good friend, Evan Erdberg, he's the CEO of Proximity Learning, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with their, their company or not, but I've worked with Evan now for several years as a client and I've just known him for a while. And I love what he's doing as part of his mission with Proximity Learning and the, the hashtag that we always used when we were helping with um, you know, LinkedIn posts was you know equity for 1 million students. And so I asked him one time, I said, why 1 million? And he said, "Well, I have I have a belief that at the point at which we can reach one million students, um, it will take on a life of its own, and it will have like a reverberating effect." And I thought that was such a great way to look at it. It's something they actively trash. like it's an actual KPI for them to like, yeah. how far are we? Where are we going? And it's it's nothing they're going to hit next week, um, but it's the it's that stretch goal for them. Um, so just. Wondering from you, you know, you talked about that. Obviously, you saw the haves and have nots. You saw, you know, what it's like. Uh, Evan would tell a story about going in and he, they're like, oh, here are our math books. And he'd say, okay. And they're like, no, no, that's the math books for everybody. That's for all classes. They come in and grab the math book and they put the math book back. There's no taking it home. There's no nothing like that. So, just throw it back to you, like what kind of experiences did you have in those early days before you went on to, to work in like teacher curriculum type companies, you know, uh, that sort of, I don't know, formulated how now you're doing stuff at AI for education.
1: Yeah. I, I think that, like I said, I think that the, the complexity of what happens outside of the school, I, I think we, you, I think the common way we think about equity in schools and, and, the The divide is so much about like you talked about like equipment, money, etc. And so little of it is mm-hmm. talked about the fact that like your students might be in a food desert, or if they don't, have, if something goes wrong and they get a common cold that's a bad one, they don't go to urgent care; they have to go to the hospital because of lack of healthcare. And then they're there for mm-hmm. six to eight hours. And we mm-hmm. have things like group homes. We have you know, so many big questions, no place to study, no devices, et cetera, that that is as much about readiness to learn. Like the readiness to learn component is as important as the quality of the teacher and the quality of the instruction, the quality of the materials. And I think that that's what we miss. We often see education as a panacea and it really can be transformative and it can, you know, start to, to, you know, get towards that gap and, and lower it. But the gap persists because of what happens as much outside the classroom as inside the classroom. And I think that's what we sure. often miss. And we also put a lot of pressure on our educators and and, and we, you know we want to have a high standard, but there is so much more we could be doing for students. And in this moment, Ty, you talking about AI, GPT4 is by far still the best on the market and it is prohibitively expensive for not just students, but for teachers and for schools, the fact that you can pay $25 a person per month for a piece of software right. that can is often hallucinating and has major issues around ethics and safety and reliability, but it's only gonna be really available to those that can afford that. I mean, it's really kind of right. a crazy piece and that's just consistent, like where this access piece is really important. And I think about that a lot, And what we do, we talked about the three E's, we we are focused on the responsible adoption of AI in the education ecosystem. And we look at that through like looking at how we can think about ethical adoption. Uh, We Mm -hmm. can look at effective adoption. Like, is it actually driving teacher productivity and or uh, instructional gains, so to speak? And then the last thing Mm -hmm. is on equitable. Like, are we creating spaces in which we are allowing, you know, everyone to have the same chance? And it's really interesting. So, we actually all of our kind of resources are targeted not at chat 4 but at 3.5 even though it is less than so to speak it because it's Mm -hmm. fully available and if we can teach people to get like 90 percent of what they need as an educator through a free tool we have such Mm -hmm. a better chance um, to be able to be in a position where we can start to see like it not just being in private schools or schools that have connections to Silicon Valley or the tech budgets or to people that like the early adopters. And so that's, that's the way we think about it. And it completely goes back to that moment in time and pretty much all of my career. I worked in organizations that had no equity lens at all. And then by the time I left, it always, always had some, right. Because it's just, I just can't do it. I just can't find the like, the you know will so to speak to work this hard unless it is hopefully try like actually positively impacting you know the education ecosystem that goes beyond you know that you know that first step it needs to go to the deeper level or i just can't keep i just can't keep the interest
0: yeah no it makes sense to me i mean it like uh, I think, you know, it goes back to maybe you saying you always wanted to be a doctor. And it, it's not a shock to me that you were a teacher after that. There's so many crossovers and parallels and that that deep desire to not just help, you know, the wealthy, but but everybody, you know, and and uh that obviously is something that you want to do. So like you obviously, after teacher, it looks like you went and you worked for several different companies. You obviously got a ton of experience with creating curriculums and working and continuing. You didn't leave education, you continually for education. Now it's like 11, 12 months ago. ChatGPT has probably been out for at this point three months, let's say. And at least from the date that it shows, I'm sure you were thinking about it beforehand. You decided to bring it out and start your own company you know, AI for education. And and while I want to dig in much deeper into AI education before we get there, I'm just curious, like, what was that what was that impetus? What was that thing where you're like, you know what? No, I could keep going and working for other people, which is highly respectable and and there's a lot of good to be done within the corporate world stuff. Or no, I have a maybe I have a different way of looking at this. And I think the only solution is if I take this on myself. Like what was what was that decision like for you? you know, two, three, four months barely after ChatGPT hits the modern the modern stage.
1: Yeah, well so um my last job I was actually the CEO of an education technology company in Melbourne, Australia. I am yeah, not so Australian, that. everybody. <laughs> and it was confusing <laughs> it was confusing when I was a CEO there. And then now that I talk about it, it's so confusing. It's a very sure. You don't think it happens very often. I think if anything it kind of is the other way around. Um, but I, I went to, to Melbourne in, in uh, 2019, and I ended up being a first-time CEO in a new country where I knew no ac- acronyms at all, and we love acronyms mm-hmm. in education, uh, yeah. and I managed to uh, be in the most locked-down place in the world. So I was running a bootstrapped organization in a new country about three months after I moved officially, and yeah, that was my first you know year was literally trying to keep the company afloat. Um, we, we launched, uh, research, we, I I kind of think that, you know, very, I had this mindset, I think of like lean into the places in which you have skills and times of disruption. So I have a background in research. So we did a bunch of research that actually had international, uh, acclaim. We actually had the largest study of its kind on the impact of COVID in the first month of lockdown around the world than any other organization. Uh, and so we did a lot of that work and worked really hard, and we ended up build, building a well-being tool off the back of that because that was the major concern for most schools outside of very low-income schools, where the low-income schools were worried about digital divide, and then everyone else was worried about social-emotional learning. And so, you know, it was it was really interesting, but like man, like like it was really hard. I was, you know, not only geographically isolated, but isolated in time and yeah. place. We don't even talk about time zones um and also just i had been working for a really long time for other people doing things that mattered but maybe not in the right organization where right. and i would just put myself like in the grinder because it was like we're you know building a company and culture and we're helping people but you know right. what ends up happening is you end up the casualty um and so i got super duper burnt out i was in a position where it just wasn't tenable for anymore, and so I definitely didn't think, "Hey, I'll get a CEO position before I'm forty, and then I'm going to quit it." Right. Like that was yeah. never. I was like, <laughs> right. "I don't think, I don't think that's what you do. That's definitely not what I thought I was going to do." And so, sure. but it was the right move, and so I, I, I also knew that I probably wanted to do something on my own next time. So I went on a burnout trip for six months because I was afraid if I like moved back to New York, considering how expensive it was, I would just yeah. start working. And I was just not I in the position as a leader. Yeah. yeah. But as a leader, like you have to be able to deal with complex situations and people's experience and I just mm-hmm. couldn't even deal with myself. <laughs> so I definitely yeah. wasn't doing that. So I traveled a lot. And I actually was traveling when Chad UT came out. So I even though we started AI for Education, I started it in April. I had never used ChatGPT until March, which is quite funny because I, wow. as an early adopter, I'm not even an early adopter compared to some people, I'm sure like sure, you guys, because yeah. I was still like just messing about Japan, you know, and I yeah. got back and, you know, I think at that stage you're like, what are you good at running other people's companies? Like, you know, I think that was feedback I had gotten. So I kind of went through that process. And then I used ChatGPT the first time. And this is a very true story. And i instead of doing something for myself i always think this is like a rorschach test what is the first way you use generative ai is i asked it to build me a rubric and the reason i Mm -hmm. did that is because i hate writing rubrics and one of yeah. my jobs, I hate it. In one of my jobs, I had six hundred rubrics that I reviewed or wrote in 20 months. Oh. And I am oh. still a broken human. I'm still broken from this moment. Yeah, That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's and you a never lot. get them right. You never get them right. The formatting is weird. Like if you know what like, you know, you accidentally forget to change any to more or whatever, you know, all those little things. And so I a really crappy prompt, you know, and I was like, create a rubric for and then in 10 seconds, when it created a rubric for me in 3.5 and it formatted in a table, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, guys, yeah. wait, 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 That's wait, magic. wait, yeah. this is the transformational technology we've been talking about for years in education technology, the possibility mm-hmm. of personalization at scale, the differentiation, productivity gains. And then I realized at the exact same moment, it's like two light bulbs that were competing was, oh, no, this is not like better Google. This is not intuitive right. this is completely different how are we possibly going to support educators and the education ecosystem to be able to understand this technology so i it was right before ASUGSV, which is the um big ed tech conference out in san diego mm-hmm. and i was like i don't really know what i'm doing so i was like i'm gonna build a website in a weekend and as a non-website designer I use yeah, yeah. Squarespace, which I'm still mad yep. about because now we're popular <laughs> and we have a crappy, no offense to Squarespace. And if right, you've right. Squarespace, DM me and fig- tell me how to figure it out. But anyway, yeah, we have Squarespace. Play.
0: I get it, yeah. yeah. It's good and, for a website on the weekend, but <laughs> not great if you're trying to build a huge, you know, lasting business. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not great when you have like the most, like the, the highest search term for prompt library now out of nothing, sure. not even educator yeah. prompt library. I built a prompt library in a weekend with some common issues, including rubrics, mm. but into the world. And this is a true story. There's a, a Matt Miller who runs a company called Oco no Labs was we met at the conference and we did a walk together. And, he, you know, I told him about what I was doing, just launched this thing. And then I saw him again in October and he said, I thought you were nuts. Who is this woman who <laughs> is just like, I built this website on a weekend yep. with a prompt library and it's AI for education. And what's happened is we had our first school in under a month and a half. We've now done our intro to generative AI training in six countries. Um, we're on the major um, policy and, and nonprofit boards, including teachai.org and EdSafe AI Alliance. And we get to, you know, our resources are literally cited and like the North Carolina guidance just came out, which is a fourth state to have guidance on AI, We're cited throughout the document. So it's been a pretty wild ride. And it, even though I didn't touch it until March, you know, immediately crystallized something that we need to do. And, you know, seven months later, eight months later, and we're just in this really great position where literally today I was with a K-8 um, uh, district in New Jersey working with you know, 150 teachers were only about, maybe 15% of them have ever used ChatGPT and teaching them how to use this for their practice, understand the limitations and capabilities and start to think about how it's gonna enhance their practice. Yeah, that brings up a really good point. Like you, uh, you have said, you have to understand where people are coming from and it seems like in this place and time students and teachers are not necessarily coming from the same place and teachers aren't necessarily coming from the same place as other teachers so how do you lower the cognitive load for adoption in these kind of environments can you talk a little bit about that it's a great question beth and this is the blank page is the hardest thing right when you think about cognitive load a blank yeah. page a blank canvas. How do I get started? And that's why we procrastinate like crazy or we, we don't get started. So, and, and so the idea of this moment in time is that this is not an intuitive technology. I don't know. I mean, like the only reason it's conversational AI is because it's the easiest way to get in front of people as quickly as possible. It's not the best UX. It It's not the best for people. It's not the most reliable. It's not the easiest. Definitely not. And so what we have to do is that we have like the the most technology people use day to day is like social media and Google. And those are not those are not lift and shift ways of thinking about generative AI. In fact, no. one of the biggest mistakes you can make is thinking it's like a Google search. And right. so what what we do is that prompt library is key. First of all, I, we don't even get to prompt engineering until about the half an hour mark of a 90 minute because we talk about myths and misconceptions Lower Mm -hmm. the the rhetoric in the room about, you know, idea of replacing teachers or that AI detection works or that these technologies are thinking the amount of people because of the conversational AI that think that AI, generative AI is thinking would blow you away. And so this this is because again, UX decisions make a big, you know, if you're a UX person out there, like, you know, like the ways in which we create things really change user behavior and also user thinking about what your tool does. And so we do that. We also talk about, ask everybody to take out their phones. Like very rarely in a presentation, we ask someone to do that. And we talk about 84% of us interact with with AI, more classical AI, every single day. And so we situate this in the, the truth of it, right, that we all experience this, but that we've had this amazing step change, this transformational change. And then what we do is we go into our prompt library and you talk about cognitive load. It's got over 100 prompts for educators, including like non-educators. Like we had secretaries and nurses today. And what you do is you have in the prompt library, it's as much a pedagogical or andragogical tool as it's a productivity tool. And so it does, it says, okay, rubrics. Here's here's a prompt that you can change where you can actually add a different, you know, grade level or topic. But if you're not sure how to get started, we have an example built for you. All you do is cut and paste it and you put it into any chat bot. And what you're going to get is a beautiful rubric formatted in the table and it's going to be easy to follow. And that just collapses the cognitive load. And I'm telling you the amount of like, you know, hands up, eyes big. Oh my gosh. And then what we do is I riff on it, you know, like let's add this and do that and make it less complex. And that just collapses this between establishing it's been here for a long time. Getting rid of those misconceptions and then actually having them just be able to cut and paste a good example to something that matters for them tends yes. to bring it down. And you no longer have people saying AI is for cheating, AI is for cheating. You start to say, mm-hmm. "Oh my gosh, okay, AI could be for so many things." And yeah. I AI one of my, my favorite, co-pilot. yeah, copilot. We call it we say, we say thought partner. Like we yeah. think of it nice. as a thought partner or a brainstorming partner. And but now I'm showing them more and more generative search, which is going to be like where we are. Have we do have better Google like perplexity that then becomes your research in turn, you know, and things of that nature. And I think that that's where it just gets really rich. But this is a show, not tell time. If you're doing a presentation, if you're training your staff, I know you have all kinds of listeners. If you're training yourselves, the best way to do this is to learn about, build your AI literacy, but then it's just get in there and try and play. You can have scaffolding like we have, or just like your imagination, run wild. Just try it. It can fail miserably. It'd be super weird. But at the same time, you're going to be shocked at what you can do if you really just get in there and start thinking through the process and just experiment.
0: Uh, yeah. We, well, we talk about this all the time on the show, so we're definitely in lock and step with that, which is there's no substitution for getting in there, and trying and failing, and also being okay with the first results you get back being absolutely horrible. And, but you can't, you got to know that, like, that's not a time to bail on it, you know, be, because it didn't give you a great first answer doesn't mean it's incapable. Um, That's where prompting comes in. And one of the things I love about your prompt library, and I mean this, by the way, because I, I have built not an education, but I built a a large prompt library but uh, situated for sales so it's for sales professionals and all that one of the first things that happened to me was i have the ability to create large complex prompts and of course that's where my brain went initially but it was my having conversations with my ceo and uh, this guy jake dunlap and thinking about it and he's like you're overreaching the end user and what i it's absolutely true, by the way. So we we scale back, and now the prompt library is what I would consider to be fairly simplistic prompts, but very similar to yours. They're a gateway to oh, if it can do that, could it do this? If I could do that, could it do this? What about this? And like you're saying, like tomorrow I have two huge long um, uh, workshops with two different levels of sales professionals, you know, the executive and director side of it, but also the end user. But in both cases, it really does just come to meeting the end user exactly where they are, whether it's the student, the teacher, the sales rep, it doesn't matter. Um, meeting them exactly where they are. And like you said, a lot of times that's starting with they haven't even opened it up. They're fairly, they're familiar with it as in the zeitgeist. They know it exists, but it's not necessarily a tool that they've they've gone after. Uh, we just have a few minutes left amanda um and i want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about um ai for education all the amazing things you've done we talked about your prompt library before we get there i do have one question i want to get to i have a couple on my screen over here but you had mentioned in one of your blogs or something in the research i was doing that you're really excited but kind of going back to this equity piece of as we get closer and closer to these language models being um, being available fully offline on phones um, or you know computers that can sit inside uh, schools and stuff like that. So one of the one of the um, one of the shows we had was talking recently about how Apple is developing what they call LLM in a flash. And this idea that it can exist in flash memory without power, and it's just sending it over to RAM when it needs to. So we know these things are coming. I think we always talk about on this show, the fun thing about AI is that you can always see just a bit over the hill. So whether it's multimodal or whatever, we always have this this sight of like, oh, I can see this. We're not there today, but I definitely know where this is going. It's the fun part of it. So as you look at that, before we kind of get into like, you know, all the other greats of AI for education, you know, what are you most excited about in terms of like these, these upcoming kind of see them just over the hill technologies, you know, and what does that do for students and teachers when we think about equity, when we think about adoption rate, when we think about getting beyond, you know, what they're doing in North Carolina and putting out a really solid plan that it was, I think, Vera uh, Cubero. Uh, She was talking about when you were talking to her, Um, but then you were saying, "Look, but it comes into adoption, implementation, change management. What about those?" So, what technologies are you really excited about in twenty twenty four? Do you feel like are going to get us there or closer?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's. I mean, you can run Mistral right now, which is is more of a small language model, right? Like open source on your phone locally, no bandwidth. And so, I mean, it's weird and it's completely like open. Um, But that's the thing that is pretty interesting. I mean, it definitely makes a huge difference in. Uh, I mean, at school today, we didn't have enough bandwidth to use a, a chat GPT with 150 people. So for example, it takes yeah. a lot of compute. And so if you think yeah. about that in terms of like global south and, and areas in which these, these technologies can be truly transformative in ways that we can't even conceptualize, I think, it's where it gets really interesting. I think that we have some things to play out. I think there's a real question of who's going to win, defensibility, like, like is it going to be opening AI eating everyone's lunch every time? They release something where there's GPTs, when they release Mm -hmm. plugins, you know, multimodality, like all these things that keep like, you know, actually collapsing different bands of enterprise solutions. And so I think that that's a real question, especially with, you know, Sam Altman and, you know, Bill Gates talked recently about the fact that 5 or 4.5 is coming soon and they'll have some pretty significant uh, you know, d- changes. And I, gosh, I hope if it comes out, four becomes free because we really need to, like 3.5, I hope is not what we do. I hope that there is a commitment to these technologies that we keep having updated solutions, even if they aren't paid. I think that I am, you know, a, a big thing that I think about a lot is like, how do you responsibly adopt tools that are not responsibly made? And so, you know, when you think about schools, these schools are not fit for purpose for students. They're not fit for purpose really for like uh, like unsupervised use. And so I think that this is something that I, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, like education specific language models or small language models. I'm interested in seeing like classical AI, like deterministic AI plus generative AI, where instead of this hype cycle where everything is generative and it comes with all the issues around hallucinations and bias, compute costs, et cetera, mm-hmm. We instead have like really great deterministic AIs that can t- do, you know, like help with, you know, assessing student reading or math. And then generative AI is used to make it a better experience, to make it more personalized, differentiate it. But I think that this is where it's really I think it's interesting is that we can kind of also get away from this hype cycle where there's really great solutions that already exist or have been worked on. That generative AI can be a wrap or two or an extension, but we don't have to just go into this wild, wild west where everything is like it has to be an LLM or it has to be this piece right. because we don't these technologies, at least for schools, are really, really questionable in terms of can they be responsibly adopted without significant uh, changes, so I think that this is where I think a lot. I think that we're going to see some really awesome tooling over the next year and a half. Everyone is always so surprised when the, when I ask them what is the most common use of ChatGPT. Like, what is the most common use case? And people say like emails, and they say resumes, and they say cheating on essays. Um, but I always tell them, no, no, no. Uh, but it actually it actually is coding, right? It, so I think the thing we don't recognize is that not only are we going to see this amazing continuance, like, you know, U-curve of generative AI and AI, um, you know, implications and advancement, but all technology is able to be done faster with less resources. And that's going to be where we're going to start to see some crazy, crazy things, especially when more and more software, you know, engineers actually understand how this can benefit them. And I think we're going to see some really cool things coming from that as well.
0: Nice. Yes, yeah, I, well, I think it was well said. I think um, we're, we're sort of at time and I can already tell that we definitely need to have you back in a couple of months. I'm a talker, We need to, to talk about like the, the impact on students and, and reteaching students and getting them ready for the future of AI. And what does that look like? There's so many other questions that I have that I, I definitely would love to have you back for. Um, so hopefully you're hope up for that. But, be, but to wrap this session up, because uh, we do try to keep into that about 30 minute. Um, you know, the, the, the red carpet's yours. So what what didn't we cover? What would you love people to know about what you're doing? AI, educa- AI for education? How can they get involved? Because I know there's a lot of ways there. Or if you're listening to this and you're you're just a teacher and you're thinking, I don't know, I couldn't I couldn't really do anything. You know, I, I don't really have any pull or anything. I, that's not true. Right. So like, what would you like to say about AI for education? While you do that, we're going to throw up um, two different banners here. Uh, your LinkedIn and then we'll put up your email or your uh, website as well, your email, <laughs> your website <Awesome>. as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm very on LinkedIn, y'all. I'm like, that's not, I definitely did not think I would be like, this is not my natural social media. It's definitely not my natural state. I don't know if it's anybody's. Um, but we post <laughs> like a lot of resources. We're not traditional on LinkedIn. It's much more like resources, best practices, things you yep. can share, um, some thought leadership pieces. So you can check us out there. And then, uh, and I also really answer if you want to reach out. So always like I try to do at least a couple of calls a week when I have time with people that are reaching out. Today, I talked to an entrepreneur in a college in the UK that's building, you know, something around learning and automation. Um, And then our website is, is really the place we have like 95, 90% of what we do is free. So our business model is like, (laughs) it's quite funny, start your own business and then give everything away for free. Not the most, you know, amazing uh, approach, but it's something that's working for us. And so we have our free prompt library that has 100 prompts, we have resources around policy around uh, everything around adoption. Um, We have Uh, Student-facing materials as well, a curriculum that's free, uh, a webinar series. We did 25 webinars between June and the last part of the year last year on all kinds of pieces. And we started our next webinars on the 24th. It's focused on building buy-in in in diverse communities because there is that digital divide that's possible to be exacerbated. And then we work directly with schools, systems, and leadership associations. So if you want some extra support, I I can come out. Someone from my team. We can do everything from training on generative AI all the way through your strategy and adoption at the system level. So we do a lot with a very tiny team. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's super impressive. And I, like I said, uh, Beth, myself, the team, we've been excited about talking to you for a while because, you know, it's, there's, I'm, I used to be a, or still am, I guess, a LinkedIn strategist. And so I spend a lot of time there as well and getting and obviously do more AI strategy now. Um, but it's evident that you come from a place of help first mm-hmm. and and then the business will follow. And I'm a big fan of that type of business that if you help people, there'll always be opportunities to to make money off of that, whether it's on the last bit of it or ten percent or otherwise. So, um want to say you know just thank you for coming and hanging out with us for 30 35 minutes today and yeah we're definitely gonna have you back so just go ahead and say yes um we'll pencil (laughs) it in (laughs) for a month or two and uh we'll talk all about all the other other things we'll just reference this one we won't have to talk about the background we're just going to talk about you know what students can do what teachers can do because it's just so important there's so much education to get out there we want our show to be part of that um that movement So thank you so much, Amanda. I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, this was super awesome. I appreciate your time.
1: So many golden nuggets in this, right? Like, Uh I mean, if you're listening to this, uh, are are you like me? Like you wanna go back, right? Like, okay, I just wanted to get the overview and now I have to go back and this and this and And, this. And
0: listen, I will say this, obviously go check out Amanda on LinkedIn because the content is very good. I don't care if you're in education or not, you should go for to ai for educationio correct? And go look at the prompt library. It's stellar. So I'm, I've always been super impressed with that. But if you're just playing with AI and you're like, I don't know how to start, or I don't know what to tell it, or whatever, go look at the prompt library Amanda and her her team have created, because it'll absolutely tell you how to get started. It solves the blank page problem. And it'll get you started because you'll be immediately to take one of those prompts and go, oh, I don't do education, but this is how I would write it for my own use case. So, it could be a huge uh, resource for anybody. So, highly recommend people going over there. Okay, I'll shut up about it. Uh, we, are, we think you're great, Amanda. <laughs> Thank we'll, you. We'll talk soon. All right, here comes the yeah. Thanks so much.